couple years ago, I read an article in the Chicago Sun-Times. It grabbed my attention because it was, it was about Dennis Rodman. And uh, in a former life, I actually lived in Chicago for 11 years, and I'm a big fan of all the Chicago sports teams. So I lived in Chicago during the six championships that uh, the Bulls won, and the last three were with Rodman. He was really popular in Chicago after being really unpopular. Um, so when the Bulls were on their rise, he was on a team in Detroit and was uh, known in Chicago for kind of beating up one of our best players by shoving him to the ground. That was Scottie Pippen. But I digress. Uh, he was so popular, I'm going to digress a little bit more. They used to have this thing called the Rodman Delay, where one of the major thoroughfare highways was elevated above the city and would drive by these large buildings. And some of the large buildings, they would paint billboards on the buildings. And there was this one really particularly large one that the interstate went right by, and they painted Dennis Rodman's face on the side of the building. It was really cool, really lifelike. And what made it the most interesting is every time Dennis Rodman would change the color or style of his hair, they would repaint the billboard. So if it was all silver, it, you know, in a day it would be all silver. If it was leopard print, in a day it would be leopard print. So what happened is every time cars would drive by this building, everyone would sort of tap the brakes and to see what hairstyle Dennis Rodman had that day. And, you know, if you tap your brakes in one place in a highway, if you go back like a mile or two, it's like a dead stop. So if you listen to, uh, you know, uh, radio in Philadelphia, you hear traffic and you hear about the Conshohocken curve and you hear Belmont to this and all that, you know, well, you would get all of that in Chicago and then say, and the, and the uh, Rotman delay is 30 minutes today. <laughs> it was a real thing until one day I was driving by uh, the billboard where Rodman's face was painted and they had painted a giant sign that said speed limit 55 miles an hour. <laughs> So it was a fun time in Chicago, and so I became, you know, a big fan. So I saw Rodman come up in the headline of an article, and I read it, and it turned out that it was about him and his father. They have an interesting relationship, kind of a sad one in most ways. Uh, when Dennis was nine, uh, his father left his family and moved to the Philippines. And so he and Dennis didn't speak again for 42 years. And his father actually had 29 children by 16 different women. And I'm not making this up. Dennis Rodman's father's name is, I'm not making this up, Philander. That's his name. And over a decade ago, Dennis was actually visiting the Philippines on a basketball tour. Sometimes uh, pro athletes will do these tours in the off-season to different parts of the world to promote their sport. And uh, he didn't reach out to his father or, or see him at all. But something interesting happened a few years later. While Rodman was touring the Philippines again, this time with an all-star alumni team, he actually invited his father to the game. And they met briefly for a handshake. And then during a break with just a few seconds left in the game, Dennis Rodman stopped the game, uh, got a microphone, and announced to the entire crowd that his father was in the house. And the crowd applauded as the elder Rodman stood up wearing a red baseball cap that said, yes, Dennis Rodman is my son. And asked why Dennis did that by a reporter, he said, quote, 
I don't hate the guy that brought me into this world. The fact is, if I saw him, I would just tell him, you know, you're a friend of mine. Now, I'm starting today's talk with this story because I think, and we'll touch on it a little bit as we go along, that it's actually a profound example of what we're going to talk about today. Now, I've been thinking about this a little bit because, as many of you remember, last week was Father's Day, and just a few weeks before that was Mother's Day. So this is a season where people, in general, are thinking a lot about moms and dads. And generally, I think we focus on what is good, as we should. But I imagine that these holidays also remind us of disappointments and letdowns as well. And as a staff, I just want to say it was a challenge for us to understand how to celebrate parents on these holidays while also being sensitive and caring towards those for whom those holidays are reminders of painful disappointments and loss. You know, relating to your parents in particular is not always easy. We all have parents here, and I think we all can say that's true. But at the same time, relating to our parents is actually really important. In fact, it's important enough that when uh, the Lord God Almighty chose 10 particular things that became known as the Ten Commandments, one of them was the fifth commandment, which says this, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and it may go well with you in the land that the Lord God has given you. Now, when some of you hear that, you probably think, of course. My parents have given me everything. It's only right that I honor them. And some of you, you're from cultures that teach you the importance of respecting your elders, particularly your parents. So for you, the command is just reinforcing something that you already feel. The only question might be, how? How do I do that? Now, for others this morning, this command brings other questions to mind. Questions like, what if you've had terrible parents? Am I really supposed to honor the man who left my mother and my siblings when we were kids? Am I really supposed to honor the woman who was verbally abusive to me my whole life? What does it mean to honor your parents anyway? Because I don't want anything to do with my parent. It's too painful. So today... As we continue our series on the Ten Commandments, we're going to take a crack at addressing some of those questions. And I think particularly we're going to look at how honoring our parents is something that actually, no matter what type of parents we've had, is good for us. All of us. Not just you, but the people around you. Regardless of what types of parents we've had. Now, right now, I don't expect you to buy into that. But I want you to go on a trip with me And look at these passages and see if we can learn something new or something that can change the way we experience life so that our experience of life can be better. So before I talk about what it means to honor our parents, I think it's actually helpful to take a moment to explore the importance of relationships between parents and children before we get back to this commandment. So we often refer to parents and children together as a family So if we could, I'd like to chat just for a moment about what family really is. And before I do that, I want to acknowledge that what constitutes a family, I understand, has become politicized in today's society. And I'm hoping that today, whatever your political bent, we can talk about family relationships in a way that will help you. And to do that, I want to start by looking at some of the basic ideas that we can see represented in the scripture for what a family actually is. 
Now, I'm drawing a lot on this talk uh, from a sermon I heard uh, by a gentleman named Timothy Keller, and he defined family this way. Family is a learning community built on a covenant of lifetime loyalty. A learning community built on a covenant of lifetime loyalty. And this, I would put forward to you today, is a good thing, a really good thing. Every family should be good for you and society. You notice in verse 16, it says, Honor your father, your mother, as the Lord God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Other biblical authors point out that this is the only one of the Ten Commandments that actually brings along with it a promise. The so that... What? So that you may live long and may go well with you in the land your Lord, the Lord God is giving you. Now, what's interesting about this is I think we read this and we generally, our first thought is about us as an individual, me as an individual. This command is that uh, if I honor my father and my mother, uh, the command here is promising that I will live long and things will go well with me. And I think that is a part of this, and I think we'll talk more and more about our individual lives as we go along, but the word you here, as you know, you can be singular or plural. You can mean just you, one person, or you can mean, I can say, you to this whole room is a you, right? The pronoun here, the you here, is to the whole room. It certainly includes individuals, but it's a plural form of the pronoun. It means everyone sitting here, everyone who's hearing this command. The you is a community. If the community honors fathers and mothers, it will go well with the whole group. You'll live long. You'll prosper. It will go well with you. Why? Well, because family is a learning community built on a covenant of lifetime loyalty, In other words, it's in families that God intends for us to learn and develop our sense of self-respect and to learn how to think outside of ourselves. So it's good for us and good for everyone else if it's working as it should. So every family should be good for you and society if it's grounded in a lifelong covenant of loyalty. Let's look at that first. I think uh, there's a proverb, number 23, that sheds a lot of light on this topic, and, and, it, and it says this, listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she's old, but the, buy the truth and do not sell it, wisdom, instruction, and insight as well. The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. Now, the first thing I think we can see here is that there's this element of lifelong commitment in this proverb. It's saying that the covenant of family is from beginning to end. From the moment you're given life, listen to your father who gave you life, to the last days of our lives. Do not despise your mother when she's old. So the beginning of life, to your parents when they're old. We're to be for our families, committed to our families, in a lifelong covenant with our families. Because when this is in place, families are meant and can be a place of safety 
where we learn a sense of self-worth, value, dignity, and unconditional acceptance. That's what a covenant is. No matter what. I've got your back. You're safe here. You're loved. And our identities are meant to be fostered and developed within a lifetime covenant of loyalty. That's part of what family is. But there's another important part here, and that's that family should be a training ground. I alluded to that earlier in Tim Keller's definition. You can see that in this passage. It says, um, buy the truth, do not sell it, wisdom, instruction, and insight as well. Or I like how it says in Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And what we see here is that the goal for families is not just to provide a warm atmosphere of security and safety in which the child comes to understand that she's loved unconditionally. But a goal of the family is also to develop the character of the child, to train her, to push him, to, deci- to, dis- to discipline the child in a way that helps her to grow up to be a healthy, thriving, independent adult. You know, there's a, a popular modern approach to the idea that parents should just give emotional warmth to their children, but not exert or impose any beliefs. Just accept and support, and let them decide for themselves what's right and wrong. But I think we see something a little bit different here in Scripture. It's including and encouraging the importance of emotional warmth, but pairing it with lessons and training and discipline. You know, it's funny. I am now twice a parent. I've got one that I don't have to do much disciplining or training with because she's just turned five months. Just got to keep her alive, show her some love, right? But I've got one who's almost two months. I love him. He's, if you've met him, his name's Declan. Almost two years, sorry. It would be kind of, it would be a whole other story anyway. Two years, thank you. He's two, almost two years old in July. Um, you know, it's funny, I was wondering on the way in, when is it that he's too old and I can no longer tell stories about him in sermons? I hope it's not yet. I don't think this is going to affect him. Uh, But it's interesting. About 18 months, something happened that I didn't expect to happen maybe for a few years. So um, about 18 months, uh, my my little boy, Declan, uh, started getting pushed around by another little boy. No one in our church. So it's none of the little boys or little girls in our church, but just so you know. But a little boy in his life started basically to bully him. At 18 months. And so bullying at 18 months means every time he has a toy, he takes it away. My toy. Um, Or he would grab him by his hood and pull him down on the ground, right? Now, my wife and I, uh, and I think this would be a good prayer for any kid, but for us, we've always had this impression, even before Declan was born, that we were supposed to pray that he would be strong and kind, that he would be someone who would look out for other people, right? And in my mind, for some reason, I just always figured that uh, the kind bit would be the one that I would have to jump on and do the training on, um, teaching him not to, like, just take other people's toys and stuff like that, right? And, 
But the interesting thing was is that he's actually a very generous little boy. So sharing things doesn't bother him. I mean, look, if he, he really loves his food, and you have to like, are you sure you don't want to give mommy some? And then, okay, right, he does, right? But um, his natural inclination is to be kind to other kids, other people, to share what he has. But I didn't expect that I would have to teach him how to stand up for himself at 18 months. Because he was literally getting shoved around and his things were getting taken away from him. So here's what we did. Because we noticed he started to lose his confidence in groups of kids and on the playgrounds and stuff like that. We had to train him. So every day, I knew he'd, before I knew he'd see this little boy, we'd take time in the car and I'd sit down. He's still in his car seats. And I'd say, hi, Declan, how you doing? And say, I just want to let you know a couple of things. First of all, you're a good boy. And your mommy and your daddy, we love you. And one of the things we love about you is that you're generous and you like to share. And we don't ever want to see that change. But if another little boy or girl comes up and you're playing with something and they just take it and they don't ask and you want to keep playing with it, you can say no and take it back and say, I don't like it. All right? And we would practice. What do you do? And we practice with real toys. And we practice, no! All right? So then, you can see how dangerous this can be, too. <laughs> so then, one day, I'm, I'm just sort of watching the kids interact, and this little boy comes up. First thing he does, takes his toy, and I see little Declan. He's like, oh, he doesn't know what to do. And he turns and he runs the other way. All right? So every day, Declan, we love you. One of the things we really love about you is that you're kind and you share your things. We don't ever want to see that change. But if another little boy or girl comes and takes your toy and you're still playing and they don't ask, you can say no and take it back. So slowly but surely, we would check in with the person who was watching them. He started to say no. And, and then he got better at it. And he got more confident, and eventually, the little boy could just be around him for no reason, and he'd be like, no! <laughs> so then what do we have to do? Today, when you see this little boy, I want you to be very kind. First thing I want you to do is say, hello, so-and-so, do you, will you, you want to play with me? Okay? And if you get a chance, share your things with him. You know? And there's a little back and forth, and we're trying to find the middle ground so that he, as he grows into a young boy, a young man... Um, he knows that he's loved and safe and secure no matter what so that he can be generous, but also um, he can stand up for himself. And if he sees someone else being taken advantage of, he knows what it means to stand up to a bully and he can help them. And we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I have noticed now in the playground, he's very confident, right? He's back to the old Declan that he always was, running around, no fear, you know, <laughs> bopping his head off things, right? Um, and that part of who he was is protected. Now, here's one situation where I think Beck and I maybe got it a little bit right. There's a lot of other ones where we're still figuring it out. But I only mention it today because it seems to fit with what we see here about what's important and what family can be. A place of unconditional acceptance where you are pushed and trained not just to be, but to grow and develop character. This is what families 
can be and can do. And when they do these things, society benefits. So certainly, hopefully, little Declan benefits. But when there are parents who are providing these types of environments, everyone benefits because of how our kids treat other kids, how we can see outside of ourselves because we've been trained to do that. We can learn how not to be selfish. And there's lots of other implications. And this is why to honor parents, even if our parents are a wreck, is important because society needs this. This is a key and essential role that parents have, and this is why the role deserves to be honored. And honoring parents reminds us, as a society, of what we expect of parents, why they're important to all of us, and what we collectively are shooting and aiming for. Now, of course, not all parents are honorable, and I don't know what your experience has been. But not all parents behave in honorable ways. And what the family is meant to be, it may not always be. So the question is, and this is the one, the golden ticket question I'm sure many of you have been waiting for, how can I honor my parents, good, bad, and ugly? So here's some suggestions that I think you'll find helpful. The first would be to find a connection to God as a parent. Find a connection to God as a parent. In John 17, Jesus prays to his father. In, in an amazing prayer, he asks God to connect himself to us just as he is connected to his father in heaven. And to help us sort of understand what that might look like, an early follower of Jesus, a man named Paul, he started many of the first churches. He wrote letters to them, that many of which became Christian scriptures wrote this. He said, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Use the term sonship because in that culture, uh, the son was the heir who got all of the inheritance. So there's not an attempt here to exclude um, women from the blessings of God the Father. It's just reflecting the culture that it was written in. And the main point here, though, is that there is an experience in following Jesus of being united to and adopted by God as his child. And the Holy Spirit, and this is our hope today, can actually make this real a felt, experienced experience. More real than I'm standing here. This can be in your life. That's the hope. That this can fill you. This can overflow you, even. That this is a theological idea that can be known. It can be studied. It can be reflected on. But it's also a practical experience of feeling loved and loved in this way. You know, one of the things I do sometimes, I'll get sucked into, you know, Christian history things to read about people from the past. And one guy that is famous in certain Christian circles is a guy named Charles Finney. Uh, He was a pastor um, a couple hundred years ago in New York City. 
uh, and he was famous not just for the church he started, but for being an abolitionist. And he wrote this. The Holy Spirit descended upon me in as manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love. For I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. And he goes on to say that this was the experience that made the doctrine of God's complete acceptance through Jesus real to him. Now, you and I don't have to exactly have the same experience Our experiences of the Spirit of God may rightly be more or less dramatic than Charles Finney's, but the need to connect to God's heart and even God's heart as a father for us is something we need in a real way. God wants us to know that he loves us as children in an actual way, not in a theological way. And it's this understanding that helps us be able to do the second thing, that I think will empower us to honor our parents. And that's this. Don't take this the wrong way. Take this the wrong way. It can sound harsh. It's not what I mean. I mean in a very practical way. And that is this. Grow up. We have to grow up. What do I mean? In verse 24, it says, The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. An honored parent is one that sees their child become wise and righteous, no matter what type of parent they've been. That's the goal when you're a parent, to invest love and training into your child so that he or she grows up to be wise and live in a righteous way. That's what causes parents to rejoice and be joyful, feel honored. But of course, parents fail to do that Perfectly. No parent has perfectly loved their children, not one, self-included. And as a result, no matter how great your parents were, everyone, everyone grows up feeling that they haven't been loved correctly in some way. We all, all feel holes in certain areas of our lives. There are all ways that our parents have failed, all of us. And growing up, part of it, is acknowledging these shortcomings and letting them go. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have a season in your life where you process through what has happened and what is missing and any pain or damage that is been brought into your life by the shortcomings of your parents? Certainly, yes. But at some point, for your good, you have to let it go. You know, when we're children, our parents are like gods to us. They provide every need that we have, or they should. Food, shelter, bathing, love, instruction. And they do their best, for the most part, Some do better than others. But in the end, they all fall short in some way. 
Growing up, here's another way to look at this, is saying to your parents, you're no longer God to me. And you don't have to go and call your mom or your dad. I'm just saying, but in your heart and in your mind, you let it go. It's as if you're saying you're limited. There's no way you could have met my every need. So I'm going to stop now weeping over the love that you didn't give me. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life upset because I didn't get the love from you that I wanted. You were limited and couldn't completely give what I needed. So I'm releasing you from that responsibility. I'm forgiving you of your shortcomings. Instead, I'm turning to another source. Now, I'm not saying you just pretend you never deal with what you grew up with and just let, forget it, pretend like it didn't happen. I'm saying, sure, you have your season. It may be a longer season. But at some point, we all have to understand our parents could actually never be God for us. They were never going to be perfect. And at some point, we have to let that go and look for what's missing somewhere else because they can't give it to us. I can't give everything to my son and my daughter as much as I want to. And this is where connecting to God, having a real experience of being loved and accepted by God as a parent is so powerful. It's a way to release your parents from a debt that they will never be able to pay while at the same time turning to a source that is perfect, that can meet our deepest need. And this is only truly possible through forgiveness. If we don't forgive our parents, we can't fully turn to God because we're still looking to them to meet those needs in our lives. Because of you, I have a hole in my sense of well-being. They can't fill that hole. We need another source. And acknowledging this is part of what growing up is and part of what enables us and empowers us to connect to another source that can bring healing and fill those holes. And no longer looking to our parents for these needs shows that we're growing up. It shows wisdom. Remember that from the passage we just read? And leads to righteous decisions and actually honors our parents in ways that will bring them joy, whether they deserve it or not, whether they're still in contact with you or not, whether they're living or not. So that's one way we can honor them. The second way we can honor our parents is by choosing to honor them. Choose to honor them. The commandment is, honor your father and mother. And notice here it says, honor. It doesn't say agree with. It doesn't even say like. It says honor. We honor people we don't like all the time. Uh, Think of politicians that you didn't vote for. They're still the governor, the mayor, the president, so we honor them. And this command is not asking for an emotion. It's a moral choice. The command asks us to recognize the importance of family to our well-being and to the well-being of society as a whole, and as such, to honor our parents for the role that they were meant to play in our lives. 
and the role that parents in general are meant to play in the lives of children everywhere. You can do this. <laughs> Let me give you a few suggestions. Three, I'll give you three. First is celebration. Try celebration. What do I mean? Find the things that our parents did well and celebrate them for it. Now, you may have a long list, and, and many of us do, of great things your parents did for you. And you might be tracking with me and be like, yeah, Brad, I know my parents weren't perfect, but man, they did, they did the best they could, and it was pretty good. That's great. That's good for all of us. Tell the story. Tell the story of what your parents did well. Because we need to hear it. We get lots of stories of parents messing up. And I hope that um, in my attempt to be sensitive to where many of us are coming from with our parents, that you don't leave here thinking most parents are terrible. (laughs) It's not true. Tell the story. Celebrate what your parents did well. We need to hear those stories. I need to hear those stories. I need to be encouraged as a parent that parents can actually get it right and often do. In fact, most parents really love their kids and sacrifice for them and do all they can. Tell the story. We all need to hear it. You know what Dennis Rodman did in that opening illustration? Hadn't seen his dad in 40-plus years. Dad left, moved to the Philippines, totally abandoned them. He actually does this in a profound way. He says, how can I hate the man that brought me into the world? Notice what he's doing. He's finding the one thing, the one thing that he can celebrate his dad for. He gave me life. And that may be the only thing that he can think of to honor his dad. And that's the story he tells. How can I hate the man that brought me into the world? If nothing else, he gave me life. Celebrate what your parents did do well. Tell the story. We, need, we all need to hear it. Second, release the debt that your parents owe you. Forgive. Now, remember, forgiving is not saying it's okay. Forgiving is naming what the offense was as wrong and releasing the debt of the other person. It's not brushing it under the rug or saying it wasn't a big deal. It's letting it go. It's forgiving. Honor them by releasing them from their failures. Now, this doesn't have to happen in a moment, and it's a process, and some of the pains are deeper than I could understand. But this is one of the goals, to move towards forgiveness for yourself. And third, express hope for what family can be. Because what this does is, so celebration, forgiveness, hope. What this does is it makes room for more of God's grace to enter our lives. Not only to fill in the gaps from our own upbringing, but to empower us to be better fathers and mothers than we could have ever been on our own. You know, it's really hard to be a good father or mother when you're saying, I will never be like my father or mother. That's where forgiveness comes in. But express hope for what can be. You know, and honestly, I have to say this. When I look around this community, I see so many terrific parents. You know, dads sometimes get pounded in our society. But I can't think of a a dad in this room that isn't really engaged with his kids. I've never seen so many babies strapped in so many different ways to so many different men. 
And not every one of our families look the same. I see moms teaming up with grandmoms and friends to provide security and training to their little ones. You know, the last time I preached a sermon on this passage, I didn't have any kids of my own. Now I have two. And it can be overwhelming. Thank you, moms. Thank you, dads. Thank you, nanas. Thank you, pop-pops and uncles and aunties by blood or just by friendship for giving me hope that I can be a good parent to my son and my daughter. You honor parenthood every day by showing me what families and parents and adoptive parents and aunties and uncles can be. So I honor you. And I pray and I say, may you be encouraged. Lead families that love and correct, that are empowered by a fatherly love that isn't your own, but comes from above, where we and our children grow up and are able to live lives that honor our fathers and mothers. Let's pray. Father, Jesus came and revealed you as Father. And we thank you for that. And we invite you to come. And we pray that you would send the Spirit into this place, increase your presence. So whatever that love was that was between you and Jesus and that Jesus offers to us can become in our lives a practical reality. That's more than an idea, but an experience that changes things. I pray for any of us here who feel the holes left by our parents profoundly, would you begin a new season of coming into those areas of our lives? And we welcome you. We invite you.